Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. that image right up in your mind. I can see him walking down the street. It signals the start of this edition of Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. I'm your host, Nikki Dakota, joined today in the studio live and in person. It is George Williman, the Nitrate Film Archivist for the Library of Congress. George, welcome. Hello, Nikki. And also via the phone line, working with the <coughs> sexiest man alive down there in South Carolina way, Jay Todd Anderson, storyboard artist for the Coen Brothers and all the big stars. Jay Todd, welcome. Hey, did you just call me the sexiest man alive? <laughs> oh, darn. You mixed me up with the star of the movie I'm working on again. Yeah, I'm here in South Carolina easy... working on Leatherhead for Mr. Clooney, Mr. George Clooney. <laughs> football in the 1920s, or as they used to say, football in the 1920s. How about it. We're lucky to have you joining us by phone and also lucky to be all communing on this day about this perfect movie, Shaft. Oh, 19... it is such a perfect movie. Yeah, it is geez. crazy you, much fun. Say, George. Yes. Who's the private dick that's a sex machine to all the chicks for his brother man? Um, I believe that's Shaft. Can you dig it? And who is the man that will risk his neck for his brother man? Can you dig? Hey, that's Shaft. Who's the cat that won't cop out when there's danger all about? I believe you're still talking about Shaft. Right on. They say this cat is one bad mother. Shut your mouth. Talking about Shaft. Hey, I can dig it. You know, he's a complicated man that no one understands but his woman. Well, that would be... John Shaft. And that is our perfect movie today. <laughs> and as my wife Felicia would say, God made us white for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the finest repartee I will ever say. Filmically <laughs> perfect uh, rappers. Uh, rappers delight right here right, on 91.3. Yeah, it's kind of the, bumping into the furniture yeah. rapping, you know. It's <laughs> two clumsy middle-aged guys trying to like be cool, you know. And, and if but anyone out there song. is still listening, we are doing a shaft today. We are doing a shaft. <laughs> we can't even compare to this man's coolness in this movie. Now, that, the, song, uh, the song won the uh, won a Grammy that year, didn't it? Yeah. Grammy won uh, the Academy, Academy Award. Award. Yeah. He got the oh, bowling oh, trophy oh, oh. with that baby. Right. <laughs> the big gold doorstop. But the movie itself. That's didn't particularly right, uh, no. make any sweeps, did it? I'll tell you, man, this is uh, this movie, when I was a kid, this is the coolest music I had ever heard when it came out. I just it it just made it just made a, a vision of the movie right in front of your very eyes. No matter where you were, if you saw that movie you instantly could remember it, you know, and it was such a sensation. And it's still too much fun to watch to this day. 
It really is. I have to say that uh, it was a, just a, 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 an amazing joyride from the very beginning. What a great opening sequence. I'll tell you what, though, before we get in here, let's, uh, let's make it clear that these are not just uh, willy-nilly uh, uh, sort of uh, just ejections from your minds. You don't just, just say, oh, you know what, I like that movie, it's on the list. There's very strict, very specific yeah, that's right. Every criteria. time Lightning hits that studio, we go in there and we come up with about five or six more songs. That's right. Yeah. We find one under the tower, yeah. There's a stringent <laughs> test That's that right. must be passed. Rule. And that first rule is uh, these films all create the world that they exist in. That's correct. And they wholly sustain that world. Shaft movie, the Shaft movie wholly sustains this world. And regardless of changes in society, they retain their meaning and entertainment value. And that's so true in this one. And on. you know... They are never numerically graded one better than the other. They're all perfect in their own scale. Right. And then there's rule number five, that it is if I don't like it, it totally negates everything that you've said. Oh, right. well, maybe well, you yeah. need to hear about rule number six, ma'am. That's right. Tell them, George. Tell them yeah. what rule number six is. Rule number six. <laughs> Filmically <laughs> Perfect on 91.3 WYSO, J. Todd Anderson and George Williman. Today we are looking at the movie Shaft. And also, um, uh, if there's a little caveat here. Little, oh, yes. Little something. There's a chance that... Yeah, spoiler oh, alert. Watch your spoiler alert. There's a spoiler alert. Yeah, we have to talk about the ending on this one. So if you haven't seen uh, a Shaft uh, yeah. and we ruined the ending for you, sorry, but we <laughs> warned you. Yeah, we're going to tell you about the ending here, folks. <laughs> So if you would, George Willeman, give us just a quick rundown of the action in this amazing movie. Well, the story of Shaft is really uh, really pretty basic. Um, John Shaft is a, a private investigator. He works in New York City, um, does a lot of work up in Harlem, although he himself works lives in Greenwich Village. That's right. Very, very swank, cool apartment. Cool bachelor's apartment. Got his own reel-to-reel -reel tape reel -reel, deck and everything. Yeah, and he puts his guns in the freezer. Yeah. It's really and, cool. <laughs> And um, what's he, up with that? Yeah, that that there's probably you could go on. We're baffled there, by that. Yeah, there's some sort of Freudian thing about that gun. <laughs> but, um, anyways, he is um, contacted by a um, a Harlem businessman, uh, Bumpy Jonas, whose daughter has been kidnapped <laughs> by the mafia uh, because because Bumpy won't play ball with the mafia, and yeah. uh, so he uh, asks Shaft to go up into Harlem and rescue his daughter. And that is basically the movie. Yeah, but the mob wanted Harlem back, but they got Shaft up to here. That's right. <laughs> That's a Fantastic line directly, trailer for the directly movie. Directly from the trailer. Yeah. And in fact, uh, we have a little, a little sound bite here, which is uh, the end of the scene, first scene between Bumpy and Shaft, where uh, Shaft tells Bumpy what his uh, requirements are for doing this, uh, doing this job for him. No, don't lay right. The hell you think I need you for if I knew who had her? I'm guessing. They don't have her all right. Maybe they know something. I got nothing. That's a job, Shaft. You take it or no. I get 50 bucks an hour. Plus expenses. And no questions asked about how I spend it. You got it. I get a free hand to move any way I want. You're fine, my baby. It's all I want. I got money. You spend it. And you find her. Now that'll get you started. And so the deal Bumpy is, is all broke up over this. Yeah. He's just busted up. 
And interesting enough, Bumpy has a really interesting uh, sort of comrade who goes around with him. This, this character named Willie. Um, we love this guy. Willie is great because he is just—he's like Mister Indignation it all the way through right. the movie. It just ain't right. That's right. A man says he's going to be here. He should be here. Throw my man <laughs> out the window. It just right. ain't right. <laughs> And the interesting thing about... He has principles, and he stands behind this because he's going to tangle with Shaft. And I don't think all the sequels that came along, he never did tangle with Shaft. I don't think so. Nope. He's only in the second one, but I don't think they ever tangled. But he's really interesting, right, George? Yeah, his, his name is uh, Drew Bundini Brown, and he was one of Muhammad Ali's uh, handlers, support men. And he actually was also a poet and supposedly wrote the uh, Floats Like a Butterfly, Stings Like a Bee line. So uh, his his appearance in there, I'm sure he was a, he was known very well known to the director Gordon Parks and just had to be in there and he's great. And he's he's just too cool, man. Really, I really love this guy. Character. Yeah. <laughs> so he sets the deal with Bumpy. He he goes. He he agrees to do this uh, this task for this amount of money and right. no questions he, asked. He has to go up and he has to find um um this guy named Ben Buford who is a, a sort of a, a, a black activist uh, rebel who's hiding out, and he enlists his help to find the daughter. First, he, he checks with them to make sure they don't have him because they know that the, that the activists are against Bumpy because he's getting people hooked on drugs and whatnot. Um, yeah. Turns out that Buford does not have him, but he does enlist him to help. Um, he gets the word about the, the mafia being in town, and he confronts those guys and eventually does discover uh, what has happened to um, the daughter, and there's an, this amazing... Ending somewhat, it reminded me somewhat of the ending of Taxi Driver, where there's this big yeah, it's kind a very, of build very up interesting into interesting ending. It's not your typical ending. In fact, one of the things you'll notice about Shaft is he doesn't have a car. You know, Steve uh, so McQueen funny. drove a green Mustang. You know, <laughs> right. and James Bond drove a car with you know machine guns right. and stuff. Aston Martin. But Shaft gets a taxi. Right. You know, and sometimes and he... he doesn't get a taxi. There's a really <laughs> the first time he goes to get a taxi. Sometimes they won't let him get a taxi, and they they're making you know a social statement there. Yeah. Right. Um, He's bypassed for a white a white passenger. Yeah. But here he is, and even at the end when they have their big uh, deal at the end. Taxis come and pick up our boys and drive them away, man. <laughs> it was a with three girl, taxis. You know, with, with, with the contraband and the girl and everything, and they just get a couple taxis, and they drive away, they drive and away. Shaft goes over to the payphone. Remember those things, folks? Yeah. And he gets on the payphone, <laughs> yeah. and he does the tagline from the ending, and it ends with all this great music. That's right. It just The movie's over. The story is completed. There's no recap. There's no funny little bit at the end. It's just he does a line, and it's a sort of recaps a, re a line. Recaps a line, an earlier joke from the movie, and that's it. It says the end, and you're out. It's out. Yeah, well, it's a shaft on and filmically perfect on ninety one three, and I think it would be interesting for us to talk about how it got a bad rap by you know the the NAACP and the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. And they said this is exploitation, and thus gave birth to the word black exploitation. Yeah. Now I watched this and tried to be you know open minded and open hearted, and I don't see. This it's tame by today's standards. I mean, as far as right. you know, depicting. I I think the biggest complaint they had was about some of the some of the surrounding characters. I mean, you know, he goes to the one guy and asks him where Buford is, and he's like, I haven't seen him, and then gives him a twenty dollar bill, and he immediately says, Oh, he's over here on you know. Such -such street, <laughs> and then you know? he ends up in the room where they go to, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, well, I, you know, George and I don't think we agree. That this is not a black exploitation. Maybe the films that tried to emulate this motion picture were black exploitation films, but this is a very stylish piece of work, and it was done by one of the greatest directors of our time, Gordon Parks, um, who had an amazing 
just breadth of work. This guy did a lot of stuff, and he went in there. And before this movie, there was nothing like this. There was no um, African-American uh, leader in a movie that depicted this kind of power and this kind of control yeah. uh, over his neighborhood. And, and uh, there was nothing like this. He's kind of the Black Tarzan, the Black Lone Ranger, um, all these these great leader characters rolled into one in his own neighborhood, and he's always right, of course, you know, because he's the lead. And there was nothing like this. There was no style like this movie. There's no music in a movie like this until uh, Shaft came out. And it's done by some of the greatest African-American artists of all time. All these actors are really superb. Richard Roundtree and Gordon Parks and Isaac Hayes. And, Isaac Hayes. And this is, this is a movie that's going to stand on its own because it has its own dialogue, you know, and uh, written by a really great writer who wrote another movie that it's on our list, too. Yeah, uh, um, French Connection. This is just – we think that this is a great movie, and I always enjoy watching it. Uh, and it's cut really nice, too. The editor did Midnight Cowboy, and uh, there's a little, you know, uh, little thing on the movie. You can watch it. They're talking to the editor, and they're showing how Gordon Park shoots. And I think we got that some of that, right, yes. George? Uh, yeah, uh, we have a little a little soundbite here. This is from the, uh, the featurette, uh, featurette that is on the DVD, and it is a short piece of um, – uh, Gordon Parks, you will hear uh, directing Richard Roundtree in the barroom scene when he has first confronted the mafia and kind of tricked them, and he takes a, a wine bottle and smashes it into the guy's face. And I love to li especially listen to the just the sort of very calm, yeah, almost Gordon grandfatherly really voice of yeah. Gordon Parks as he directs this really violent scene. All right, in this next scene here in the bar, you will discover the mafia. And you will recognize them by the pictures that you have seen at the police headquarters. And when you take over the bar, you're supposed to act, you know, in a manner in which they would never assume that you are the bartender. You have to time that scene very well where you crack him over the head with a bottle. And be sure, after you hit him over the head with the bottle, and you see the blood gush out of his face, that you maintain the cool that Shaft should maintain. There you hear, have it, folks, from the words of one of the greatest directors of our time. And, you know, Gordon Parks, he was the youngest of 15 children. Is that right? The youngest of 15 children. His mother died when he was 15, and uh, then he was on his own, basically. He was born in 1912. So 1912. He died he last year, 60. last March. He died about a year ago. And he started working uh, for Roy, Roy Stryker, and he started making some beautiful photographs. And he was confronting... Uh, the period for what it was. He wasn't just doing photographs. He, was, he did a real famous photograph of a woman with mops in front of the American flag, which caused a lot of controversy. Oh, yeah. Caused a lot of controversy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then he started photographing for Vogue. And then he was a, a staff photographer for life. Yeah, he was one and, of the major staff photographers for Life and he, magazine. He wrote this book called The Learning Tree, turned it into a movie. Right. And became uh, a movie director, and then he did Shaft, and he's done six books, right. six compilations of uh, poetry and photography, six films, and six pieces of music, and a lot yeah. of documentaries. And this guy, you know, people always say well, this is a controversial film. Well, I can understand why, because Gordon was always going against the grain, you know. Mm -hmm. And when I first started in the business, I remember people telling me they had worked for him, and they said what an astounding individual he was to work for. What you heard was basically what you got. As I understand it, Gordon was incredibly controlled artist. He was a, 
I still am a big fan of Gordon Parks, and I'm a big fan of this movie. Uh, I just think it's great. I think the opening sequences uh, visually are just lovely. Now, yeah, I'm sure the two of you understand like the, the technical or long lens or whatever. I don't know those yeah, terms very well. But it's just well. gorgeous the way this music gritty, starts up. Gritty, you know, gritty, gritty. It's gritty, and it's got New the, the marquees. And then he, then he like, just like right and with a perfect musical accompaniment pops out of the subway. And it's you know, interesting. And in the, in the, uh, the little uh, featurette, there's a, a, a long piece where he is um, working with Isaac Hayes on that piece of music, and he says uh, he basically mentions that he wants he says when he comes up out of the subway, I want to hear that rhythm you've developed. So actually, it was it was very much thought out. He was very proactive working with the with Isaac Hayes on this music it's because just yeah, lovely. When, he, when he pops up out of that subway, that's when oh. the the guitars come in and the and the the wild pedal and everything. It's it just sucks for the whole you picture in. Right so there. you talk about creating the world. You're just immediately you're right there, right in it, and uh, certainly sustains it. And uh, rule number three, I think, is particularly uh, uh, dead on this time around that it sustains its relevance because um, not only did it sort of spawn a whole genre of what truly may be able to be called black exploitation films, and I do mm-hmm. exclude this one from that category, but also you know even the whole gangster thing that you know, all the stuff that got wrapped up into hip hop there's still references being made right. to this you know stylization right. that not was created to, with this movie in seventy one right. to shaft but also to Isaac Hayes who's still out there he's still working yeah you can you know. used to be able to hear him on South Park. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is a very stylish stylish movie um all the tone for the picture is set right up front when he's walking down the street and this is kind of a throwback to how far filmmaking's come in about 40 years because you don't see any product placements removed. Um, you know, they can go downtown, you could see all the advertisements. Right. Nowadays, they remove that stuff. They have to get it cleared. Sometimes they digitally remove it, you know, and replace it with something else. But in this movie, you can see all the movies that are coming out at that time, all the advertisements in 1971. And this, I think this film was turned around pretty quick because the calendars in the movies say January and February. February you know? yeah. Isn't that great? Uh, very. It, this is you never get tired of watching this film because Richard Roundtree looks so good. He's dressed to the nines, and he's got the great turtleneck sweater. And every time he goes out somewhere, he looks like Shaft, man. And well, and it's, it's very interesting that you know, the movie Bullet uh, came out just prior to this. Maybe a, oh, I don't know. He's better than Bullet. Yeah, and he um, he's cooler and... than Bond. I want. I almost want to hear that again. <laughs> I think we will play that again. Shall we? But, let's, let's, well, let's hang on. Let me let me right. finish my thought here. Um, but but he dresses very much like Bullet. Uh, he I mean he has the shoulder holster and the turtlenecks and and everything. So there is some oh. of that uh, some of that kinship. Which is to Steve Bullet. McQueen Steve sort McQueen. of. And none that. of the women can resist him. When That's he walks right. in a room, all the women look at him. And it is amazing that speaking of the of the, the woman angle on this film is he has a, a girlfriend. And there's this very long uh, love scene near the beginning that's very, very lyrically shot, and there's this beautiful music, and it's actually quite, quite. Uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, 1971, cool. Well, yeah, <laughs> cool, but also very. I mean, R-rated for the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, oh, there's a, a lot, lot more of R-rated you stuff. See some yeah, full yeah. uh, back home nudity. Yeah, full back home nudity. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's very. Later on in the movie, though, he he hooks up with a with a white prostitute. Which is a scene that must have dropped some jaws across the country to have a, a black man and a white woman having a, an on-screen uh, liaison. scene. And when liaison. he's finished with her, he, he is finished with he's her. He's finished with her, and he throws her and says, hey, close the door. I got business to do. <laughs> that was really interesting, too. Check it out. Let's hear this last little bit from the trailer, though. Shaft. Hotter than Bond, cooler than Bullet. <laughs> Rated R. If you want to see Shaft, ask your mama. <laughs> I don't think anybody got in, uh, even with a mother's note on that. 
Well, it's also very interesting that the the, the actual trailer for the movie is is an R-rated trailer because they do uh, not take out. Everything's in that out, trailer too. Yeah, man. they do not. If take you want to see this movie really quick, if your attention span is really short, <laughs> yeah, watch, watch that the trailer. trailer. It's all there. <laughs> It's good though. It's cut. It's a it's good cut. trailer. Usually, and every isn't time it? you almost see a bear behind, it's cut. You yeah. know, That's yeah. right. bang, we're out of there. Well, and it's so interesting that on the trailer for Shaft's Big Score, which was a follow-up movie. Uh, even on that trailer, it says, you know, Chesapeake Score is rated R. So if you want to see it, you still, still need to ask, ask your, your mama. mama. Yeah. <laughs> and then he, the third one is Shaft in Africa, which I think just did not do much business because it, it doesn't have all the cool, expected. gritty background yeah. that right. Parks. Yeah, Gordon Parks was not associated with that, and neither was the author of the original book, so it was kind of on its own. Gordon Parks is also in this movie. When he goes to knock on this door, and Gordon Parks opens the door and says the guy's losing money. Right, he's, when he's looking for Ben Buford. He comes out, and he's got his pipe and everything. And you know, But before, oh, before we go any farther, we really need to talk a little bit about the author of Shaft, because this is one of the most interesting things about this whole phenomenon. Uh, the author of, of the book Shaft, and he also was one of the screenwriters, was a gentleman named Ernest Tidyman, who was from Cleveland. Yeah. And he did French Connection, too, right? And he also wrote uh, – he and actually got an Academy Award for French Connection. Which is on our list. And, and High Plains Drifter were, are his three big movies. The most amazing thing about Ernest Tidyman, though, is that he is white. And he has white. a clearly rich, imaginational life. Yeah. It, You'd, when you watch this movie, you'd think that Chester Himes had written it. It has that kind of feel, but it, this is and, Ernest Tideman. And what a diverse and, a bunch of subject yeah, matter and, for and him to have done so well. Ernest, Ernest Tideman is one of the few uh, white people to actually have been honored by the NAACP for his work. especially For when, Shaft? For Shaft, yes. How about that? So they did eventually come around to their uh, different ways. I think of they were fine with the, the books. I think maybe it was some, of the, you know, some of the portrayals of some of the subsidiary characters in the movie – are kind of are kind of along the stereotypical and yeah. exploited. Well, this movie still raises eyebrows of controversy to this day, which includes rule number three, of course. Uh, yeah. People will still argue uh, about this movie, and that's a kind of a good thing when, a, when they're still arguing about a movie 30 years later. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, it's so relevant that it was redone in that's right. 2000. In, in 2000. Poorly, I understand. Uh, I haven't seen it, so I won't comment on oh, that. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. But John Singleton... Uh, directed the remake in 2000, and it starred Samuel L. Jackson uh, as John Shaft, but he is, I believe he is the original Shaft's nephew, I think. And Richard Roundtree does make an appearance in the movie as the original John Shaft. And incidentally, Richard Roundtree, on his IMDb wall of fame here, has done 124 movies. This man still works to he this works day on yeah. television. I heard on him television. interviewed about this movie uh, on Turner Classic Movies, and he really liked to talk about Shaft, and he's great to listen to about it. Uh, the guy is a prolific uh, African-American actor. He's still working a lot. Yep. And Moses Gunn did quite a few. He plays Bumpy. Bumpy. We'd rather call him okay. Bumpy because we like to use that word. Bumpy. <laughs> it's just so funny. It's such a funny Bumpy's name for a fun, villain, you know? You know? Yeah. It's, like, it's a squiggly, and he's gonna get you. Yeah. And then, yeah. of course, Isaac Hayes. He uh, he did the score, but he did uh, Hot Buttered Soul right before that, and he had the Barkays. The Barkays had a hit. Yeah. Um, but they were all killed in the same plane crash with Otis Redding, and they reformed, and then they did Shaft. Uh, there's the, the girls that are all doing Hush, Shushua Mouth. I mm -hmm. think that's the Barkays in the background. 
Well, some of the finest music, and it's just so such a perfect uh, wedding and enmeshment of, uh, of the music and the image, and it was groundbreaking. There's no question about it. It's the first, it was on um, MGM, put it out, it was the first major motion picture that starred not just a black man in the lead role, but also... African-American director. African-American director. And he did uh, Learning Tree. That was his first deal, and that was considered one of the first major movies by an African-American director. Right, and it actually is on the National Film Registry now, I believe. That's right, at George's place. Yeah. Uh, Shaft is, too, isn't it? Yeah, the Library Um, of Congress. I read something that the Library of Congress had honored uh, Shaft. If if not, it should be. I I think you're right. I think it is. Uh, In in the uh, trailers that you'll see where they're making the movie, you see, again, I'm going to talk a little bit about the... uh, uh, how far movies have come, they're using these Panaflex reflex cameras, which were uh, America's Hollywood's answer to the Aeroflex camera where you could look right down the lens. And you, you can look in there, you see how big these cameras are compared to an Aeroflex. Right, they're decidedly they're not portable. they're on location in New York City. They're on location, they're in this bar. And, and I was just on the set the other day, and it was nowhere as complicated as it was in 1971 on location. They've got wires, and they are just jam-packed in there for that bottle-breaking scene. And big, monstrous cameras, and where they're, people are falling down the stairs and getting... They show you how they yeah, do the all that, cut out of it. And then they cut to the movie Ola. This is refrigerator kind of apparatus that makes all this noise, and they're running film down through there, and they're cutting the movie. Nothing like our electronic editing nowadays. Right. It's truly astonishing uh, for people to to think about how films are put together and to look back at this time when uh, this film was edited with machinery that was basically designed in the late 20s, early 30s. It's, it's called an upright moviola because the film runs through uh, vertically rather than horizontally or, or like on a what's called a flatbed machine. And yeah, it, you don't have a big screen to look through. You have a small... A uh, peephole, like about the size of a periscope well, a opening. A piece of ground glass. A piece of glass. That and in, it goes, in, makes all sorts of noise. It goes, and it, yeah, it's very, very loud, very noisy. And you have on one side, you'll have the picture. And on the other side, you have the soundtrack. And you got a pair of scissors and a roll and of tape. tape and, you're, and you're piecing this thing together like a huge jigsaw puzzle. So the fact that anybody got any movie made at this point and you got is thousands of feet of film all around you. Mm-hmm. Literally. Cutting room floor, and there's not that term is going to you know be like the same sort of thing like we still call our carts carts, and it's nothing of the kind. It's all electronic now. Right. There won't, there is no real cutting room floor. No, there's anymore. a virtual, there's a virtual, virtual cutting room floor. Yeah. Set of instructions can on get moved, gets moved around on a hard drive. But back then, it was real work print, and they used to tape that work print together. And unfortunately, I go back this far, uh, <laughs> and we watch dailies. <laughs> this is what they watch dailies with was with the work print, and they right. project it, and you see the little piece of tape come flying through there. Uh, in between all the cuts, uh, and that was pretty much demised. It's it pretty much eliminated about five or six years ago. Uh, now everything's electronic. Our dailies on this movie, electronic. Yep. How about it? We are talking about Shaft on Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYS, so we are quickly approaching the end of our time, and uh, we invite you, by the way, to stop by the website at perfectmovie.net. If you have some thoughts, suggestions, or anything that you would like to uh, communicate to the film guys, please do that. It's filmguys at perfectmovie.net, and of course all this information is available at our website as well at wyso.org. Check it out. Uh, this has been Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. J. Todd Anderson, the storyboard artist for the Coen Brothers for 20 years and counting currently with George, uh, not not the, our sexiest man alive, George Williman, but George Clooney in South Carolina. J. Todd, thank you for joining us by phone today and the amazing film archivist for the Library of Congress. It is George Williman on this end. George, thanks. I can, can dig, you it. dig it. Nikki. <laughs> I can dig it, Nikki.
I have dug it, and now i got to clean up. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks for your calls. We'll see you next time. Filmically Perfect. Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect, coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.